continue today, I'm going to show you guys a little history of a man by the name of Johann Dober. And he was one of those missionaries that I mentioned that, that came up under Count Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Don't say that ten times fast if, if you don't want to hurt yourself. Amen. Um, last week when I spoke on, on his life, and, and I want you, if you weren't here, to go back and listen to that message. I feel his life was inspiring. Um, he was a man of influence, a man of means who, who laid it all on the line for the cause of the gospel. How many of you know that we can't take anything with, we, with us when we go to heaven, <laughs> right? He put it all out there. He put all that God had placed into his hands for the sake of the gospel. And man, his reward, I can't imagine what his reward was in heaven for laying it all on the line, you know, for the sake of Jesus. I mean, literally, him and some others influence the planet to this day. Maybe more than any other people that ever lived. It's, it's incredibly inspiring. And Johann Dober came up underneath Ludwig von Zinzendorf as the first missionary that was ever sent out. And let's take out the term missionary. Let's just say it like this. that He was the first one that really caught the heart of God for other people. And he was willing to go and give that passion away to the needy that needed Jesus. Awesome. But just a little history We looked at the life of Jan Hus and what were called the Hussites, the followers of Hus, that came out of the Bohemian uh, Reformation. Now, Bohemian Reformation, Wendy asked me what that was. Basically, Bohemian literally meant Czechoslovakia. So it would be the modern-day Republic of Czechoslovakia. I am just struggling today. Like, I got the spirit of tongue speech on me this morning. Can I get an amen? No. Um, Czechoslovakia. And, and they were, that's what these people in that part of the world were called. And there was a reformation that happened underneath the life of Jan Hus. Now, what I want to also point out to us this morning as we look into this history, it's important to see not only are we just like these kinds of people, but the gospel that was initiated by Jesus and, and, and propagated by the early apostles, it can never be stopped. No matter what history The enemy, whatever, throws the way of the gospel. It can never be stopped. I want you to see that this morning. Because, you know, oftentimes we can look at circumstances and think, oh, my God, is all lost. No, all is not lost, and all has never been lost throughout history, even in the worst moments. And Huss was one of those guys that that was in a very turbulent time. So was Johann Dober, which we'll see in a minute, Ludwig von Zinzendorf, all these guys. And he said this as he was, um, he was being burned at the stake. People heard some of his words as he was being literally put to death for the thing, simple things that he was standing for. He was standing for people to be able to have a service like this in their own language. To be able to read the Bible themselves. I mean, simple stuff that we take for granted. He stood for those kind of things and was burned alive at the stake. And look what he says. Talk about a heart of innocence right up until the end. No offense. Unoffendable. He said, Lord Jesus, it is for you that I patiently endure this cruel death. Now, you've got to understand, they just didn't light these guys on fire. They, 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 put a, they put a fire underneath their feet, and they let it burn very, very slowly. I'm not trying to be gruesome here, but we got to understand there's people that laid down their lives for the gospel that we are now beneficiaries of, for the maturity of the church, 
that we are now experiencing today. There are people that lost their lives. He said, I pray that you would have mercy on my enemies. Isn't that incredible? Tradition says that on this day in July 6th, 1415, as he was giving his final breath, he said this, prophetic statement. He said, they will roast this goose for now. His last name, Hus, literally meant goose in that language. They will roast this goose for now. But in 100 years, they will hear a swan sing, and him they will endure. Did you know that on October 31st, 1517, exactly 102 years later, is when Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Reformation, nailed a copy of his 95th thesis, five theses, on the door of Wittenberg Castle Church. The gospel cannot be stopped. Did you know Luther, Martin Luther was a, mentored by a guy by the name of Johann von Stoppitz, who was a Hussite, who was influenced by Jan Hus. The seeds got into his DNA, and a swan arose. The swan, which we all know is a symbol of grace and beauty and love, was rising on the earth during this turbulent time. Now during, we, we looked at this last year, during these 30 years that Luther was on the scene from 1618 to 1648, you got to catch this, was one of the most destructive conflicts in human history taking place. I didn't even know about it. Where over 8 million people lost their lives in a religious war. It was horrific what was going on. They were trying to reconvert people back to the Catholic Church by using means of death. No stones being thrown at any particular Protestant or Catholic denomination. I'm just giving history. It was, you know, when religion gets in on either side, it's nasty business. And 8 million people lost their lives, and these Hussite Moravians, they were called. They lived in a part of the Czechoslovakian Republic, and it was called Moravia. They fled the religious persecution. If you look throughout human history, we're not a part of this today in America. But right now, if you look what's happening in Nigeria, if you look what's going on in, in China, if you look at what's, what's I should have said it like President Trump, China. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I don't know why I did that, but Lord, forgive me. Oh, I just got hit. Anyhow, what's going on in all these nations? Like if you look at what's going happening in the Middle East, I mean, you know, I, I, we met some, some 18-year-olds that, that had come out of Iran that, that thousands, it's not making the nightly news, that are losing their lives, people over there that have never had the gospel presented to them. They're experiencing dreams of Jesus. Jesus is coming to them in their dreams because we're not even able to send missionaries into these nations. And they're they're coming to know Christ and they're being persecuted even unto death for their faith. This is reality. It's been reality throughout human history. And here we are in America, you know, we, this is why I believe God wants to give us an awakening so we can go and serve these kind of people around the world and help the gospel advance in these countries. It, it's, it's a key time in human history. So these Moravian missionaries found refuge on Ludwig von Zinzendorf's 
property at Hernhut, which is now modern-day Germany. And this is important because during this Holy Roman Empire time, Ludwig declared his land to be a free and sovereign nation that was safe for these people to be able to come. What would it look like if the church was a safe place again? Come on, we're living in a war zone in our world. We're living in a war zone in our culture. And the last thing people need when they come through these doors is drama. Can I get an amen? It needs to be a safe place filled with people that are whole and are functional and are doing life in a very healthy way. Can I get an amen? Come on, it's, it's time for us to look like Jesus, right? That's the least we could give the world is to look like Jesus. By the way, we carry him on the inside of us. We already carry his nature on the inside of us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're described in the word as the righteousness of God in who? In who? In Jesus, right? So they found refuge on this property. Now, the problem was, is when the 30-year war was ended, Europe was in complete shambles, and the majority of the Protestants that stood for this Reformation had lost their passion. Anybody ever been through a war in their life and lost your passion along the way somewhere? It's time to get it back. Some of you are wondering, they've been around for a little while, what's going on with Darren? I'll tell you what's going on with Darren. I'm getting my passion back. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in total renewal right now. And it may, I don't know what that's going to look like. I, I don't really care, honestly. All I know is I'm having fun again. There's some joy going on in my heart. I, I, it's not fun to be in bummer town when you wake up on Monday. Can I get an amen? I live in Fort Lauderdale, not bummer town. Right? So it's, 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 this is what was going on with the Protestants. And so what they were doing, they, because they lost their passion, they clung to dead orthodoxy. Do you know what orthodoxy means? It means beliefs or practices. They were going through the motions. Anybody ever been there in church? That's awful. Religious motions. It's like, ah. Like I would rather, do, I don't even know what I'd rather do. But I don't want to do that. And that's the enemy's ploy over your heart. Man, he wants to get you so burned out, so exhausted, so just, you know, just broken up in your heart that, that even when it comes to Jesus, you just kind of cling on for dear life and maybe just show up for church. No more. Come on, guys. No. And this is where they were at. Isn't it? Ironic that the ones who stood against the deadness of religion now had become dead to religion themselves. So God had to raise up these Moravians. He need, someone on the earth has to keep purity of heart and stay in love with the Lord, right? Revelation, man, when Jesus is talking to churches, he only addresses one thing. You've lost your first love. We've got to keep our first love at all costs. So because of this, evangelism, or heart for others, was no longer a concern to the church. In fact, again, no stones being thrown here, but Presbyterians came up with this theology called predestination. And they said, well, hey, these ones, are they're already predestined to know Jesus, so we don't really have to go and tell anybody about Jesus. And then the Lutherans came up with a doctrine that said only the original apostles were the ones privileged to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, I'm not slamming these theologies, 
although I don't believe in them, what I'm saying is that, man, we'll come up with all kinds of belief systems to cater to our current condition. That's the worst. God's like, no way, I'm not going to shape my theology around where you are. I'm going to shape my theology around my son. And when you align with the son, man, you'll come to life, and then you'll be functional and healthy and powerful in the world, right? And the church was powerless in this moment. But then in the midst of these ashes that were on the earth, at a communion service, Super chill. Bread being passed out. A little wine. In 1727, Holy Spirit visited these Moravians. 600. And you know what the fruit of that visitation was? A passionate commitment to share Jesus with other people. I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be really just raw here. If our Holy Spirit encounters don't lead us to love other people more, something is off. I appreciate people hunger for, hungry for the presence of God, but if you're a junkie going from one conference to the next, and man, nothing's changing in your heart as it relates to the neighbor living right next to you, we need an adjustment. Spirit encounter should increase two things, our love for God and our love for other people. Here's what the quote is from that time. Look at this. He, speaking of Holy Spirit, did you know he's a person? He's not a wind. He's not wine. He's not fire. He's not some force. He's a person of the Godhead. He, Holy Spirit, came upon its members, gathered at a table of the Lord, and baptized them all into one body, filled them with a strong, unquenchable passion to execute the Savior's great commission and to let all mankind know of his cross and of his salvation. And after that, a spirit of prayer breaks out in Hernhut in 1732. And because of that, Johann Dober and David Nietzscheman got so wrecked by the love of God, they volunteered themselves to sell themselves into slavery to go and minister to the injustice taking place among the islanders in St. Thomas, St. Croix, and the Danish West Indies. Can you imagine? So wrecked by injustice... Come on, anybody else just, come on, we need to be so sensitive to injustice going on in the world right now. And we should be feeling that injustice deep in our soul and say, God, that injustice is not okay anymore. It's not okay with whatever injustice has taken place in South Florida. We're not okay with that because we're the gatekeepers here in this region. This is our home. This is our territory. Christ has paid for total victory over this region, and we have ownership of that. We are the gatekeepers to that reality here. And that's what happened with these guys. They're like, listen, this is not okay. And they said, we'll sell ourselves into slavery if necessary to to minister to these ones, you know, that are under injustice by being put into slavery themselves. It said as their ship pulled away from the docks, 
that they called out to their loved ones on the shore and said, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Do you know what? I don't believe a tipping point is ever the multitudes. I believe it's the one. In this case, it was the two. I remember Bill Johnson one time saying when he saw this lady catch on fire because he took back over his father's church. They were at 1,000 members at the time. It dwindled down to almost nothing. One lady catches his message, and then he goes in his heart. This will never be stopped. Just takes one. God's never looking for stadiums. If we, listen, I went to the sand, but a stadium's never going to change anything. What's going to change is that one person that got touched in that stadium. You light one person on fire and they're, they're for real, like something happened beyond themselves that was way bigger than anything they could ever imagine, that's when stuff changes. So then 400 of the 600 people at Hernhut started going off and doing ministry in these same kind of places. Now, why that's important, it's, it's so cool to see this, is they realized that they couldn't do missions like was traditionally being done at that time with, with missionaries, where they were getting their degrees and, you know, they were being ordained as pastors, and then they were raising their support. They're like, man, the two, 200 of us left can't support the 400 other people to go and do these things. So they decided that they were going to send them, this is a terrible term, but as a lay people, meaning people that were just working within the culture, to go and take their trades or their businesses into those lands. In fact, the Moravians were the first to initiate a large-scale Protestant missions movement and were the only ones in their time to use these non-clergy people who no longer, they didn't live off missionary support, they lived off the work of their hands. They were the only ones to do that. I want to talk just for a minute about Christian community. This is so important for us because we're, we're, we're really dialing in here to vision and, and values and stuff. Like who, who's the harbor? We're not IHOP. We're not Morningstar. We're not Bethel. We're not the Presbyterian church down the street. We're, not, we're, we're, we're harbor church, and we're proud of it, proud of what God's doing here, the vision he's given us, the values he's given us. And Zinzendorf and the Moravians held to the belief that in order for the kingdom of God to be effectively advanced in the earth, every Christian needed to be a part of a local faith community. So I, I, when I read that, I was like, no wonder the enemy is attacking the church so bad right now. He actually, he, it was called a Gemini, or, or meaning in German for congregation. And Zinzendorf taught that the Savior had a personal relationship with each and every believer but that Jesus held a different level of relationship with the congregation as a whole. In other words, man, what we're able to do together, we could never do by ourselves. So it's the reason God was unifying people in one singular vision around one singular culture. And prior to that, with all the people coming from the different streams, one of the challenges was everybody had their own idea, everybody had their own mission, everybody had their own vision. But God was like, I've got to unite these people into one movement that they're going to own together. This is why Engage and Activate and all that's happening here, man, we, we're going to steward, you understand, we're going to steward multitudes here in this region. 
Church United, all the churches that are part of this effort, we're praying for for the the gospel to go from 3% to 6% and then to 12%. Do you understand what that means? That means that all the churches in the region are going to have to multiply three separate times. Let's take Calvary Chapel or some church like that, for example. If they're 20,000 members, that means they're going from 20 to 40, and then from 40 to 80, and from 80 to 160,000 people. And you know what? The whole time I'm going to be going like this. Yes, yes! Along with every other church. Because when the tide rises in this region, it's going to rise for us all. And we all have our particular voice and our particular assignment as a congregation. And we're to give that voice into the collective whole to make this thing move forward. No one else can be the harbor. No one else can be you. I am in my introduction right now in this message. Oh my God. This will for sure have to be a part two. (laughs) But the vision and the culture was determined by the collective congregation and not the individual. What if we all were like, well, I want to do this, and I think we should do this, and this. No, but it was collective. And it was collaborative. It wasn't some authority just saying, this is where we're going. It's like, hey, guys, it's what we're sensing. Come with us. Let's journey. Any input? Any thoughts? The mission was simple. The Lamb has conquered. Let us follow Him. I understood what Shannon was saying about having this cry in our hearts. But it's a way easier cry when you know that He's already won. And that's where we're starting from. The cry is bring me into the reality of that victory. We're not like, oh, God, please, ah, somebody. We're like, no, I want in on that reality. I want to own that. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ has put the enemy on display, stripped him of his authority, made a shame of him publicly and openly. All that he threw at him, death, hell, and the cross, couldn't, be, couldn't hold the Savior down, and he came right on up out of that grave. Whoo! And when he did, it gave every single person in this room permission to come up out of your grave. We don't have to stay in our graves. We don't have to stay in our sickness. We don't have to stay in our disillusionment, stay in our brokenness. That's not who we are anymore. We're in Christ. And it's a collective movement. Can you imagine we've been baptized into Jesus, but then we've also been baptized into one another? What? So that means when I'm getting on fire, that means you're getting on fire. And when you're on fire and I'm down, that means I rise back up again. Come on. I'm serious. Right here, I got five five values. We'll cover those next week. Because, but I, but I, I that I that I learned from what happened with these guys that are going to resonate with your heart. But would you stand with me? Listen. Maybe somebody in this room just needed to hear. No matter what war is raging, 
No matter what's trying to take from you, the innocence of your heart and your simple passion for Jesus that you had when you first came to know him. And because of that, your subsequent effort just to try to hold on and go through some, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, kind of belief. Or if I just put on the happy, smiling Christian face, it'll all be okay. No, God's like, sit with those feelings. Sit with me in those feelings. He's been in those feelings before. Can you imagine being on the cross? Everybody's gone. All hell literally is breaking out. your eyes with me, just, just speak over your heart, life, dead places, see there's resurrection life in the room today, it's, it's, it's not something that a worship team can manufacture, or I can preach you into it, it's, it's, it's just a reality because of the cross, and it's way bigger than any of us. It's way bigger than our little dreams or our little ideals of what we think God is or isn't or what we think God can do or He can't do. It's the resurrection power of Jesus that's moving in the earth and is unstoppable. And it's because of His name. So can we close this morning just by lifting up a song? And let's sing of this one named Jesus. Let's see what he might do in our hearts today.
out like we mean it, okay? As we end. We're just going to declare the gospel, you know, for our own hearts, for the hearts of those in this room, for the region that we live in, and then we're going to close. But let's, let's lift up our voices, maybe like you haven't in a long time. And it's okay. You have permission. You have permission to be loud because Christ was loud in this action. You know, he, he was bold in this action. He was unashamed in this action.
equal. You reign. Come on, tell him he reigns. You reign, God. It's not okay to have our passion just drown it out. That's just not okay. And when God comes and he touches us sincerely and authentically, that's all we're going for. We're not going for some style or, you know, some systematic response. It's like, God, I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was hopeless, but now I have vision again. I thought I had something to give, but it was lost, and now that's being resurrected in me again in this moment. I mean, these Moravians, in so many ways, they were like misfits, you know. They, they didn't really have a home. They didn't have any place to fit. Sounds like the disciples. Sounds like the ones that Jesus called to change the world. See, I believe there's many in our region. Would you pray this with me? Many, God, in our region don't have a place, don't have a home. And they're going to come here and they're going to engage and they're going to be activated. And it's going to be incredible. Would you do it, Lord? Would you do something that we could never do? Would you do something we could never do by ourselves and see something glorious happen? And let us, all we want is an influential role even if it looks small in this region, because we want to be a part. That's all we want. We want to be a part of seeing your name glorified. We don't want our names known. We don't want our church known. We want you known, Lord. Come on, there's the presence of God. Let's just open up our hearts and let God come and have your way. As we dismiss, we're going to have some of our ministry teams here. Maybe you just need a friend to put a hand on your shoulder and say you're going to make it. Because probably my guess is, is in this room, people that heard whatever you heard me say today or God say to your heart, we need to walk this out together. You know, So come and respond. What if you're here today and you don't know Jesus in the way that I was talking about? Today's your moment. Today this gospel is for you. Make it your own before it becomes anybody else's. That's the order. God touches us first and then we become a voice. If you got stuff going on in your body, I'm so over sickness. we got a lot of people in our church right now sick. Julie and Samuel and some others. And, you know, that's not okay either. We're going to stand and pray for people in that. Emotionally too, if there's stuff going on in your heart, God's peace surpass anything of your understanding. Guard your heart, your mind. God bless you guys. Have an amazing day, okay? Big sale.